you know, that's a song by Toby Keith. And do you remember the next line? Or the name of the song? I want to talk about me. Do we live in a I want to talk about me world today? I think so. I think Toby Keith probably captured a lot of folks that we might know. But I want to talk about me is not the Christian life. And so there's that struggle and that fight that goes on all the time. And today we're going to meet a I want to talk about me kind of a guy in Scripture. Uh, he was so consumed with his own life that he wanted to stop Jesus from teaching the crowd so that he could talk about himself. I want to talk about me, he said to Jesus. Really? If you have your Bibles, and it's going to be on the screen, Luke chapter 12 is where we begin. Beginning at verse 13. Luke 12, 13 to 21. I'm a new revised standard verse. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Jesus said to him, Friend, who sent me to be judge or arbitrator over you? He said to them, Take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist of the abundance of possessions. And then he tells the crowd of parables. The land of a rich man produced abundantly, and he thought to himself, What should I do, for I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, I'll do this, I'll put down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you've ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you. The things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it was with those who store up treasure for themselves but are not rich toward God. Before this occurs, Jesus is teaching and preaching to a large crowd, probably thousands of people, that Jesus is talking about hypocrisy and eternal life and the love of God, the importance of sharing your faith and the Holy Spirit, all sorts of important things. And all of a sudden, this guy stops Jesus and wants to interrupt and have Jesus be Judge Judy. There's a family feud going on, and the me guy says, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And he can't wait for Jesus to stop talking about heaven and eternal life and God and forgiveness and get to the really good stuff. Me. He doesn't ask Jesus a question here. He gives a command. He just wants Jesus to tell his brother to give him his fair share. Now, in the law of the day, the ancient law in Israel, about the inheritance that we learn from Deuteronomy and Numbers and other writers. The estate was left to the oldest son. Uh, he would manage the estate and use all of its wealth and products and possessions for the benefit of the whole family. He sort of became the new father of the family, if you will. He didn't waste it on himself. He, he just simply managed everything. And that's what the law was intended to do, not to rob certain members of the family of the care they needed, but to make sure that some was in charge and responsible for the generations ahead. We're just guessing here. There's really no way to know. But this is likely the younger son who didn't get to be in charge. Wants some stuff, like the prodigal son. And this stuff, he doesn't like not being in control. 
it, I guess, could be the older son who was skipped over because of his bad character. We, we don't know. Jesus responds to the self-centered man. In verse 14, Jesus said to him, Friend, who set me to be judge or arbitrator over you? This wasn't what Jesus was called to do. He refused to be sidetracked from what he was talking about and what really mattered. He used it in that teaching moment. What Jesus is saying here is, my kingdom is what really matters, not your stuff. And then Jesus looked at the man in verse 15 and said to him, take care or to them, to the crowd, as a teaching moment. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. The guy was distracted, the mean guy was distracted. I've told you before, I feel that's one of Satan's biggest weapons. If he can distract us from the things that really matter, he's got us where he wants us to be. Being distracted from the things of God is fatal. Jesus said this about that in Matthew chapter 16, beginning of verse 24. Jesus told the disciples, if anybody wants to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. What will it profit them if they gain the whole world, but they forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? What Jesus does next in the story that we looked at in Luke is very interesting. He immediately addresses the crowd and tells the parable of the foolishness of being a me kind of a guy. Verses 16 to 19, we noticed that. A land that the rich man produced abundantly, I'm going to tear down my barns and build more. As the man, the me guy, heard the parable, I bet he envied the main character. I bet he thought, man, I wish those were my barns. I wish that was my stuff. I wish I had that wealth. The things of God to him didn't matter. In the parable that Jesus told, the me guy in the parable said to himself, you know, what shall I do? I have room for my crops. I will do this. I will put down my bars. I will build and I will store my crops and my goods. And the whole time he's talking, it's about me. This guy that came to Jesus and interrupted to talk about me is just a piece of work. And so is the guy in the parable. In Luke 12, 19, I will say to my soul, you have awful goods laid up for many years, relax, eat, drink, be merry. It's this farmer guy so in love with himself that there's nobody to talk to. He's running everybody off, so he only can talk to himself. It's all about me. So, as Jesus tells the parable, the real me guy is standing in front of him. And he's probably drooling again about the barn's full. And then Jesus makes the point we all need to hear in verses 20 and 21. This very night, your life is being demanded of you and the things you prepared, whose will they be? So it is for those who store treasures for themselves but are not rich toward God. We can use the parable of the rich fool to talk about a lot of things. Today I want to focus on the point that we must focus on God and not on stuff and not on ourselves. We too must realize that there are eternal consequences. The word fool here is not used to describe his ability to think. In scripture, always know when the word fool is used in a teaching moment, 
It is somebody who's away from God. We get that from Psalm 14. The first part of verse 1. Fools in their hearts say there is no God. So when you're so disconnected and so distracted, distracted, that is foolish. And so when we focus on ourselves, we are foolish. And trouble comes. And we leave God out. James talked about that. In James chapter 4, he gives us great words to live by. He says, come. Now you who say today or tomorrow we'll go do such and such a town, spend a year there doing business, making money. If you don't even know what tomorrow will bring, what is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wishes, we'll live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. So we have to include God in our plans and the meek guy. He didn't want to do that. Sermons are burst in all sorts of places, and sometimes I tell you where they come from, and sometimes I don't tell you where they come from. <laughs> But today we're ordaining a new deacon, Jeff Pettis, and I'm excited about not only today, but the days ahead. When Jeff found out he was nominated, and I told him, and we talked, he told me something I will never forget. He said this. He said, I just love helping people. Isn't that great? That is the Christian walk. That is the Christian life. It's not about me. It's about others. And I just love helping people. We are so fortunate to have so many people in this church in that way, and we're going to be okay because of that. That's exactly opposite of the me guy we meet in Luke chapter 12. The me guy bothers me. But the how can I serve you guys and gals, they change the world. They make the difference. They attract people to our Heavenly Father, and they push people towards church not away from it. One of my favorite verses in all of Scripture is John chapter 3, verse 30. John the Baptist said these words, He must increase, but I must decrease. There's a good goal for you, by the way. Let me put it in context quickly. There's an argument in John chapter 3 about baptism of all things. John the baptizer doing what he does. Jesus and his disciples are nearby and they're baptizing the people. And John's helpers are jealous. They think they can down themselves. And verse 26, they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, the one who was with you across the Jordan to whom you testified, here he is baptizing and everybody's going to him. And they're probably going to tell him to stop that. It's not about him, it's about us. John tells them in verse 28, it's, it's not about me. John says, you yourselves are my witnesses that I said, I'm not from Sinai, but I've been sent ahead of him. It's not about us guys, it's about him. And I love the illustration he uses in verse 29 of John 3. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. For this reason, my joy has been fulfilled. What John is saying is that the weddings aren't about the best man. It's about him, not about you. And what John is saying here is there's a pecking order. And we get to verse 30. He must increase. I must decrease. That's words to live by. If John had let self get in the way, let his disciples talk him into something different, 
If he had the me kind of guy would have come to John, he would have said something like, you know, I must increase and he must decrease. That's very popular today. That's very popular and it's very sad. Everybody, every moment of every day we have to ask the question, is God in this? Does Jesus approve? Is God increasing? Am I decreasing? Who's this about? And if we approach every decision about, is this about me or how can it help the kingdom? We'll do better if we choose the kingdom way. You see, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about serving God. In the next few moments, we're going to have a time of deacon ordination. Before we do that, let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Sometimes we see ourselves and we realize that we've sometimes been what about me kind of people. Father, we ask that we would be kingdom people, putting others first. Lord, that we would consider your thoughts and your ways, and we would decrease and you would increase. We pray for our church and for the days ahead. We pray for Jeff and Joe and for their ministry among us. Thank you that they love serving people. And Father, as we single one out today, help us to all dedicate ourselves to serving and loving others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the things that I wanted you to hear briefly is Jeff's testimony. And Jeff's going to come and share with us uh, an amazing testimony, and then after that we will proceed with the Thank you all very much. I'm a little bit nervous. I'm, I'm usually not nervous speaking in front of people, but this is the first time I've ever done it in a church except for praying, I guess. So, um, the story of my salvation is actually about 30 years old, or 30 years ago, I made a, a decision that irrevocably changed the course of my life. But I, I was not baptized or saved, actually, until 29 years, or 29 years ago, well, a year afterwards. Let me kind of tie this all together. So. 30 years ago, I was 16 years old, and I was living with my mom. My mom and my dad were divorced, and she was having a hard time raising me because I was kind of a, a troubled youth, you might say. I, I got into trouble. I ran away from home a lot, and she didn't really know how to deal with me, and my dad, you know, he was kind of out of the picture, and one day I got it in my head that maybe the thing I should do is I should run away for good, and in order to run away for good, I should take my mom's car, and I should take her ATM car. And I should take all the money out of her bank and run away from Colorado all the way to California and just start a new life for myself. I don't know why teenagers think crazy things like that. Even looking back now, I don't know why I did it. But that was 30 years ago, probably just about this month, when I was 16 years old. Well, I ended up kind of wrecking her car while I was out stealing it. And uh, when I came back, my mom didn't want to have anything to do with me anymore. And she told the police to press charges, and so I was pressed charges with stealing my mom's car, and I went to uh, juvenile detention. And then after that, I went to a foster home. Actually, I guess I should back up for a minute. The guy that drives your church van was arrested for car theft. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so anyway, um, after I got out of um, juvenile detention, I was in a foster home. And it was a group foster home, and it was run by a, a 
couple that were very close to the Lord. They were uh, what you would call fundamentalist Baptists, but they didn't really conform to any denomination. They have a little small church, and you know we lived with them, and I had five foster brothers. And during that time, I discovered what it was like to be in a religious home. I had never been in a religious home before. My, the only thing I knew about God was when my dad swore, and so I heard that a lot. But uh, in, in this home, it was completely different, and it was a home where even when I messed up, they forgave me, you know, and there was still punishment, and there was still discipline, and, but I could just see it was completely different, and being exposed to that after a period of a year, I, my life had changed, and it had changed because it was a bad thing, but it had become a good thing, and, you know, I told my foster parents, you know, I, I, I want to be saved, I want to be baptized, and, and I was. And, you know, the next 29 years up to now, you know, I went to church sometimes, and I didn't go to church other times, but a couple years ago when I walked through that door to the First Baptist Church of Sandy Springs, um, Joe and I were looking for churches. We were having some trouble in our lives also. And when we walked out that day, we said the same thing to ourselves. We said, this church needs us as much as we need them. And so that's what brought me here, and I'm just really thankful that you guys were doing what you're doing, and I, Glad this is going to be over and I can just start serving people again. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Stay right there now. In just a moment, it's going to go to the to the front and kneel, and we're going to have a time of prayer with him. We first will open that up to anyone who has been ordained uh, as a minister or a deacon, missionary. Uh, if you have been ordained, we want you to come first and lay hands on on Jeff and pray with him a prayer of encouragement. Then after that, we will open that up to the rest of you. We want you to all be able to take part in that. Uh, we do ask you to stay for there'll be a quick presentation after the laying on of hands. Let me tell you why we do that. It, it's Acts chapter 6. As the believers in the early church rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings and problems of discontent. Those who spoke Greek complained against those who spoke Hebrew, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve disciples called a meeting of believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time preaching and teaching the word of God, not administering a food program. They said, now look around yourselves, friends, and select seven men who are well-respected, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. We'll put them in charge of the business. Then we can spend our time in prayer, preaching and teaching the word. We need helpers that the idea pleased the whole group, and they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas of Antioch. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. So that's what we do quickly about a deacon. The word deacon is a Greek word that's diakonos. That's where we get our word deacon from, diakonos. And that word comes from two Greek words, dia, which means thoroughly, and conus, which means dust. And so a literal translation of deacon is to kick up dust by moving in a hurry to minister to others. And it was so interesting what he said. He's glad this is over with so he can go help people kick up some dust. And that is the perfect example of how we are all to be in this day while we celebrate Jeff as a deacon. So Jeff, if you'll head this way. 